Amen. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. What a great song. Let's turn to our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, normally, I have three points, three main points, and, of course, some sub-points. And today, we're shortening it to two points. Two points for a couple of reasons. One, we just experienced. We had the Lord's Supper. I knew that would uh, take a good portion of the morning. And I didn't, I, I, as a pastor, I mean, honestly, guys, and I, I kind of almost to my shame say this, I could preach for hours and probably ignore you guys altogether and, and not worry about the fact that you're falling asleep on me and looking at your watch, wondering when you're going to eat lunch. I could just keep going all afternoon. But I've learned not to do that. I, I've had some of you tell me, you know, Russ, you know, how long do you preach? And, you know, why didn't you go so long? Some have actually said that to me. So uh, I, try, <laughs> I try to keep in mind that, you, you know, you do need to eat lunch at some point sooner than later. And there's things going on in your life. And you don't need to hear truth for five hours to, to benefit. You don't need to hear truth for two hours to benefit and incur- be encouraged by it. So I got to always ask myself, how much truth... God, do you really want me bringing? Because the Bible's full of truth. I could go all day giving you truth, but do you need all day? No, you don't. And so I want to limit the amount of time I'm preaching today for the reason I just gave, Lord's Supper. But also at the end, I'm going to have Joseph come up, and he's going to give us a brief testimony of his experience in Honduras. He did not have the chance to do so when uh, Pastor John and his wife were here the other week giving the information. Jo- uh, Joseph, I think you were with, with Anna, right? You and Anna were at another church, um, Anne, of course, is the director of ABC Women's Center. And a lot of Sundays, you guys are traveling with churches, uh, giving the, the ministry and, and asking them to partner with you. I've said before, I almost feel like the Montalvos are like missionaries out of our church, where they're constantly going to other churches and, and giving truth as well, the truth of the unborn needing to be uh, supported. So Joseph will have you at the end, and so I'm going to keep my message short because of that reason. But I do want to take a look. Let's see now, Second uh, Corinthians. Chapter 12 and verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. All right. So the Apostle Paul in chapter uh, 10 had said, hey, don't compare yourselves with each other. Don't follow people who boast and brag because it's not about them. It's about Christ. And then he goes to chapter 11 and he says, hey, I'm going to act like a fool and boast and brag. Right. And we talked about that the other week. And he said, basically, the reason that I'm going to boast is so that you, because that's all you listen to is boasting. Hopefully I'll get your attention. And then once you're listening to me and I'm going to prove to you I'm someone worth listening to, I'm then going to point and direct you back to God. But he does multiple times in chapter 11 says, I do know that in my boasting, I'm acting like a fool. He recognizes that. Now in chapter 12, he says, I'm done with boasting. I'm done acting like a fool. Let's actually really just look at God now. Let's see what God has done. And even what God has done through me is ultimately God, not me. And so he talks about revelations here. What does that mean? It means that the, the information, the truth that God has given the Apostle Paul, he says, now that is truly amazing. Not so much that I was the one that received it and passed it on as it was the revelation itself, the amazing things that I have seen in God, of God, with God. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. So not 14, but more than 14 years ago. He says, whether in body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. Only God knows. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. (coughs) Excuse me. The third heaven in this text, is, of course, is referring to, to heaven, God's throne room, the place where God resides, where Christians go when they die. And then he goes on to verse 3, and I knew such a man. 
Now, it implies to me he might be talking about two different guys. He says in verse 2, I knew a guy 14 years ago, caught up to heaven, and I knew a guy. Now, it could be he's talking about the same guy. It's possible. It's also possible and likely he's talking about two different guys. He says, I knew such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Same scenario. He says in verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. That word paradise is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Once here, once in the Gospels, where God refers to the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus, the angels take him to paradise, where he is comforted after his life of, of, uh, of pain and suffering. And so some people are a little confused about this word paradise here because they say, wait a second, is paradise heaven? Because I thought paradise was Abraham's bosom. I thought it was the place you went uh, before Christ died on the cross, before he rose again. That's where the saints went, the Old Testament saints. And then the New Testament saints, they go to the third heaven. So is there anyone in paradise now? I believe the third time paradise is mentioned answers that for us. It's in the book of Revelation. Paradise is mentioned as being the throne room of God, the paradise of God. So I believe that word paradise doesn't have to only refer to Abraham's bosom, the place of comfort and peace where Old Testament saints went. It can also be another name for the third heaven. So the Apostle Paul in these first four verses is saying, hey, let's stop boasting about what we've accomplished on this earth and who we are and who's better than others. Let's talk about how great God is. And he says, you know, if anyone was well, going to have an amazing experience. It's going to be an experience with God. And he, and he says in verse 1, let's talk about revelations. He says, I knew two guys who had amazing revelations where it wasn't God speaking to them even in a dream. It wasn't God speaking to them through the Holy Spirit or, the, or just the, the page, the word of God, the words of God. He says, I knew two guys where they actually were taken to heaven and got to experience heaven personally. Now, he says, I don't know if it was literally taken to heaven and then God brought them down, or if it was like a vision where, where they kind of went into a trance almost, and, and then like the Apostle John, when the Apostle John writes the book of Revelation, that's almost like a trance-like, dream-like state where the Apostle John is awake, but in his awake state, he's seeing things as if they're real. But he, he wasn't taken to heaven, or the Apostle John in the book of Revelation wasn't transported to the future times, right? He got to see the future as if it was happening right then. And so the Apostle Paul says, I don't know what was the case in this time. I don't know if they were taken to heaven or if they were just seeing a vision so clearly it seemed like reality right there. Now, a lot of commentators believe the Apostle Paul is speaking of himself, that he was the guy taken to heaven. Now, that's very likely. I think that if I was to be forced to guess, I would guess, yes, the Apostle Paul is speaking of himself in the third person because he just spent a whole chapter on boasting, and he doesn't want to continue boasting and saying, I was that guy, but he wants to boast about how, the, how we can have amazing experiences with God while not pointing at himself. The real question comes into place, if the Apostle Paul was the guy who went to heaven, why does he refer to it as two times? I think because it happened twice. So there's only a few options available. Either the Apostle Paul spoke to two guys, maybe the Apostle Peter, maybe, maybe another apostle, and he spoke to them and they told him of their experience and he's relaying to us. Or it happened to the Apostle Paul one time and he's speaking of himself once and it happened to someone else. Or it happened to him two 
different times. And the Apostle Paul in his life got to have an amazing experience not once but twice while walking this earth. God gave him a vision that was so strong he could not tell, am I actually in heaven right now? Or am I still in my room and God's giving me a strong vision that I can't tell the difference? He did not know. One experience would be amazing. Can you imagine having that experience twice? I personally believe the Apostle Paul is speaking of himself, and I believe it happened to him twice. Now, look, you say, I would love to have that experience even one time. I don't need it twice. God, give it to me once. And I don't even need it to be a strong vision. Give it to me in a dream, right? Give me any taste of that. Let me just tell you, the Apostle Paul got done in chapter 11 talking about all that he went through on this earth. Being left for dead, being shipwrecked, being stoned, being, I think at one point killed, and then God raised him from the dead. He was stoned and put outside the city gates, and they thought he was dead. I, I, in my opinion, I think he was dead, and then God brought him back. I mean, all the things the Apostle Paul went through in his service for Christ. If anyone deserved such an experience twice, it was this guy, the Apostle Paul. We haven't had even a taste of the Apostle Paul's experiences. I get that. But nor have we had a taste of the Apostle Paul's pain and agony that he suffered through in this life as well. I can't tell you this, but could it be, I don't know for sure, but could it be God reserves those most unique and special experiences for those who've had the hardest time in service in this life? Could it be that it's not that the Apostle Paul, I guess, deserved these experiences because, you know, do we deserve anything? But could it be that the Apostle Paul, God gave him these experiences so he could keep going? Whereas some of us, our life is not nearly as hard as Paul's. I mean, I know we got hard lives, but read back chapter 11, compare your life to his, and you'll find he had it pretty rough. How did he keep going? How did he not quit? Look at the experiences he had that kept him going forward. All right, so I see two things. First of all, the title of this morning's message is Grace. God is enough for us. God is enough for you, and God is enough for me. Yes, we are going to talk about experiences. We're going to talk about tribulations. And experiences with God are great. They do inspire you. They light the fire in your heart and, and allow you to go another day. But even if you don't have experiences, God is enough. And when you do have experiences, like the Apostle Paul is going to do, don't say, I can move forward because of the experience. Say, I can move forward because of the God who gave me the experience. In the experience, God is still enough. Never place the experience above God. Never place the tribulation above God. God is enough for you. His grace is enough for you. And this is that famous passage in chapter 12 where God does say in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Speaking to the Apostle Paul. All right, so I see two points. Amazing experiences and difficult tribulations. Let's go now to verses 1 through 6. Amazing experiences, letter A, the greatest honor received is in our experiences with God, not our accomplishments for him. 
The Apostle Paul in verses 1 through 4 talks about these experiences, and I believe again that they're his. In verse 5 he says, Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself will I not glory, but mine infirmities. Verse 6, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he uh, seeth me to be, or that he heareth me. Okay, he says, I could boast, but I'm going to stop. I'm done. I forbear. I'm done boasting, and I'm going to glory in the experiences that God's people have with God. Now, he refers to these experiences that I believe he had as a third person because he doesn't want to allude to his own glory again. He's done with that. He did that. But he's basically saying the, the honor that God gives us isn't positions, the honor that God gives us isn't status, authority. The honor that God gives us isn't money. Oh, God, please honor me with money. I mean, that is such a small thing to God. The greatest honor God can give you is himself. Time with himself. A, a connection with him that, that is experiential in nature that just blows you away. That is the greatest honor. How much would you pay for an honor that Paul just experienced, that he's, he talked about experience. How much did you pay for an honor like that of seeing heaven before you died? There is no price tag you could put on that, right? That's the point. Too many Christians are asking God for blessings and for honor that are, are financial in nature or selfish in nature, something that will further their status in this life. And the apostle Paul had it right. He says, when it comes to honor and blessings, the greatest ones, the ones I would boast of, of are the ones that include experiences with God. I can't ask for anything better than that, an experience with God. Now, your experiences with God may not be as intense as the Apostle Paul's, but they don't have to. Because God is so great and so awesome, any experience with God is amazing. Coming to a service and worshiping and knowing, not just knowing, but feeling and experiencing God's presence with us as we worship him, that is amazing, even on a smallest level. If we're going to boast of anything as Christians, let's follow Paul's example and boast about the experiences we've had with God. If you're going to, if you're going to tell people about how, how great something is in your life, tell them how great God is in your life when you've connected with them. Talk about that. Letter B. Our current experiences are just a small taste of our future glory. When you experience just on a small level in the worship service that God is here, God says where two or three are together, I'm in the midst of them. And when you don't just know that but experience it, and when it lifts up your heart and almost blows your mind knowing God is with us and we are worshiping him and he is sitting with me and he is dwelling with me, and when that just almost causes you to have like a, an out-of-body tingling experience, that is so small compared to the experience you will have when you are at the feet of God in his throne room worshiping him. We cannot fathom how amazing that's going to be. If you're ever concerned that heaven will be boring, let me ask you this. When you've ever had a small experience with God, was it boring? No, your heart beat faster. You walked away thinking God is awesome and I am not. You walked away wondering, what can I do more for God, right? Anytime you walk towards God and connect with God, you are at your highest level. 
That's just a small taste of what you will have for eternity with God. Letter C. Our experiences do not position us above others. They merely inspire us to remain faithful. If I am correct in my assumption that the Apostle Paul is speaking of himself on two different occasions, having amazing experiences of of seeing heaven and hearing God, verse 6, what does he say? I would desire to glory. I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear. Now I stop, lest any man should think of me above. Our experiences with God do not make us better than others. If God chooses to bless you with an experience, a connection, if God chooses to bless you with a touch, spiritual, emotional, where you you know that God is near, if God chooses to bless you in that way, that does not mean you're better than someone else. God did that to encourage you, to inspire you, to keep moving forward. And let me tell you, If your experiences with God result in pride, you should expect less experiences with God. We find the prophet Isaiah having a similar situation in his own life where he is caught up to the third heaven, whether in person or in a vision. He doesn't state, we don't know, but very similar to the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Isaiah, as he is speaking of this, he says, uh, he he goes down on his knees and his face, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like he couldn't even look up. He was prone on the ground. When you truly see God, it doesn't make you prideful. It humbles you. So if you're telling me that you have experiences with God and all I see is pride in your life, I highly doubt. And actually a little concerned of what exactly you are experiencing. Because in my opinion, it can't be God. Because if it was God, it would not result in pride. It would result in humility and a desire to serve God. Longer, stronger, not think of yourself better. The Apostle Paul had experiences that only few others have had. And he said, I'm not above, and I don't want you to think that I'm above. So, amazing experiences. God is enough. Even in our experiences, do not think that our experiences replace God. No, your experiences are with God. Do not seek experience in place of God. No, seek an experience with God. Do not come to this church for an experience. Come to this church for God. And God will decide whether to bless you with an experience or not. But when you make the experience your God, you will have pride because it won't be with God. You have an experience that you've created in your own mind, and you've placed God in that experience rather than God placing you in that experience. God is enough. Number two, difficult tribulations. God is still enough. In verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure. By the way, you say, I wish I could have an experience like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, hey, my experiences with God were not meant to bring me up. They were meant to drive me forward. And verse 7, just in case, just to ensure that it would not bring me up, God puts something in my life to keep me down. (laughs) So if you want the experiences like the Apostle Paul, you must also accept the tribulations like the Apostle Paul, which kept him balanced in his life. He says, unless I should be exalted, 
through uh, above measure, through the abundance of revelations, through my experiences, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Wait, does God actually allow Satan and his, his servants to attack Christians? Well, if you know your scripture, then you know the answer is yes. Look at Job. Job was a saint. Job was a believer. And God allowed not just one of Satan's demons, but Satan himself to attack, to demean, to belittle, to to hurt Job and his family. Yes, God does allow. Why would God, who loves us like a father and a brother and a groom to his bride, why would that God, the shepherd of the sheep, allow Satan and his servants to attack us? God has his reasons. I've said before, in fact, recently I stated that a lot of us, we struggle when the word of God is not clear on something, and we, we insert into it our own thoughts, our own assumptions, and we make God less than he is. You need to look at the character of God throughout all of Scripture, and whenever there's a gap, whenever there's a hole, whenever there's uncertainty in the word of God, do not place your uncertainties there. Do not place your sin there. Do not place your doubts there. Take what you know about God in other parts of Scripture. Take the truth of God's character and use that to fill in the gaps. So if God is allowing Satan to buffet the Apostle Paul here, by the way, there is no gap. He tells us why. It's not because God is a cruel God, but because God doesn't want the experiences he's given Paul to allow Paul to destroy the very ministry that Paul loves through pride. So the Apostle Paul says in verse 7, to keep me humble, God has allowed me to to go through tribulation directly from Satan and his demons, to keep me humble. Now, this is that famous passage where he says, I prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh, this trial, this tribulation would be removed from me. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times. Verse 9, God's response, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, verse 9, Paul says, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, hey, if God sees fit to allow me to go through tribulation for another reason to keep me humble, I accept that. I'm okay with that. Because ultimately, this life is not about me. This life is about God. You know what's amazing? The Apostle Paul is basically giving us his amazing experiences, which could lift him up, but don't. Why? Why don't they lift him up? Because God's plan to keep him humble worked. It worked. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I don't want to be above because I've experienced the tribulation to keep me below. And it's working. God's plan works. You may not like it, but it works. You may not want it, but it works. You may not know it, but it works. You may disagree with it. It works. God's plan works. Even when it hurts, it works. So, difficult tribulations, letter A. God desires our humility more than our comfort. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. Some believe it was a deformity. Some believe it was an illness. Some believe it was a speech impediment. I don't believe it was a speech impediment because the Apostle Paul refers to that uh, at the beginning of his ministry, that he was not a great speaker. I think it was just something the Apostle Paul was born with, an inability to speak clearly. Could it have been a physical deformity? I think unlikely. Personally, I believe it was some form of illness. 
The Apostle Paul, first century, traveling uh, through difficult times and, and weather, he's also battling some kind of chronic illness. Not an illness that kills him. He dies from being a martyr. His head is chopped off. But an illness that he takes with him his entire ministry. You know what a faith healer would say? If you had enough faith, it would be taken away from you. <laughs> you prayed hard enough, it would be taken away from you. And the Apostle Paul would scoff and say, hey, no, no. It's not a lack of faith, let me tell you. It's not a lack of sincere prayer, let me tell you. No, this illness remains not because I have no faith, but because God has a plan and it's working. And I do have faith in this God and his plan, even if it means I can't pray away this illness. That's what I think it was, a chronic illness. The Apostle Paul stayed strong through this chronic illness that kept him low, while enjoying occasionally amazing experiences that kept him going forward, lifting up his God. God wants us to remain humble way more than he wants us to be comfortable. Letter B, when we can't, God can. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't have the tribulation currently of a chronic illness. I cannot speak from that point of view. I know there are plenty in this room that can. Some of you take some pretty extreme medication to keep that illness from causing you complete debilitation where you can't move. Some of you have to see doctors regularly or you would not be able to get out of your bed. I know that. Some of you in this room, I know. And I don't want to speak from a point of ignorance or hurt towards you. But I want to encourage you today. Although I cannot understand where you're coming from, God can. And I want to remind you that God is not showing you a lack of love or attention because your illness has remained. God has a plan, and it works. For the Apostle Paul, he said, in my illness, in my, my thorn, God is showing how amazing he is because anyone that would see me and know my illness would know there's no way I could do this on my own. There's no way with this chronic illness that I could travel like I do and meet the needs of the church on my own. I would have died long ago. I'd be bedridden somewhere back in, in Israel or Samaria, right? I would not have made it here. But I have made it. Even when I can't, God can. And when I am at my weakest, God proves his strongest. God is enough. Letter C, and we're done. Some tribulations are meant to correct. Others are meant to reflect. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do not assume that the difficult times in your life are given to you to punish you. Do not assume that the tribulations, the illnesses, the problems in your life are given to you because you did something wrong. That is not always the case. Can it be? Of course it can be. Of course it can but I think that's our default. I think that we as Christians believe, oh, something bad happened. God must be upset with me. That is not scriptural. Sometimes tribulations were not meant to correct you. They were meant to give you a chance to reflect him. 
And through your difficulties, through your chronic illnesses, through your trials, tribulations, emotionally, physically, and one can be just as bad as the other. Some of you have emotional chronic illnesses, discouragement, depression, anxiety. Some of you have physical chronic illnesses, literally pain, back pains, head pain, migraines, constant. Neither one is worse or better than the other. Both of them are very severe. God is not allowing that in your life to fix something in your life. God may be allowing it so that through these difficult times, you can show a hurting world that even in pain, I reflect God. Even in tribulation, this is how God looks. This is how love looks. This is how faith looks. Let me reflect Christ not only in the good, but also in the bad. Let me reflect Christ not only during times of peace, but also during times of chaos. I want to reflect God. How about you? The Apostle, parts, but the Apostle Paul's heart was always one of reflection. How does God look through me? And God said, well, Paul, I can look pretty amazing if you reflect me through tribulation, not just the good times. And the Apostle Paul said, I volunteer. I volunteer, God. I won't be that guy who only wants to reflect you in good, healthy times. The Apostle Paul says, I want to show the world that your love is real, that you are real, that my faith is real in you. And therefore, I'm willing to reflect you in the bad times. And God said, well, Paul, what if those bad times aren't just a moment? What if I choose to let those bad times stay with you? What if that illness is not just a week or a month or a year? What if it's a chronic and it stays with you? The Apostle Paul says, I'm still your man. And if you can show your strength through my illness, through my weakness, sign me up. Christian, don't feel guilty for the illnesses in your life. Don't feel forgotten. Don't feel discouraged. God has chosen you one of the elite, to say, I need some Christians who can show the world and reflect the world, me, through pain. Will you volunteer? You've been chosen. I'm not saying I envy you. <laughs> Again, I don't want to speak ignorantly. But I want to let you know that God has not forgotten you. He's given you an important calling. Hold tightly onto that. God is enough. His grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray.